You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss The Patriot. This film came out in the year 2000. It's directed by Roland Emmerich, and it stars Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, Jason Isaacs, Jolie Richardson, Shecky Caro, Adam Baldwin, and Mika Borum. The genre would be revolutionary war drama. Is it possible for a film to be highly watchable and extremely aggravating at the same time? Well, that pretty much describes The Patriot, a film that demonstrates both the best and worst we can expect from both its star, Mel Gibson, and director, Roland Emmerich. It's a film that aims really high, yet falls short, probably because it just aims for way too much. So to try to simplify matters, I'll just categorize what I really liked about the film and what I really did not like. So let's start with one thing that I liked. Mel Gibson's lead performance is genuinely good. He plays Benjamin Martin, effectively, as a very troubled man, driven by pathos, fear, and eventually rage. Now, granted, the physical rage stuff has always been one of Gibson's specialties, going back to his days as Martin Riggs or Mad Max, but hey, he pulls it off more convincingly than most, so why not use it? And when his character suffers tragedy, he also really nails that too. I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. And the cost is more than I can bear. Now, one thing that I disliked, that this story was very much twisted into a Mel Gibson star vehicle at the time it came out, and all of the baggage that came with that. Look, this came out just five years after Braveheart took the world by storm, so I can understand the studio's business desire of attempting to transport that into a Revolutionary War setting. But watching all of the key pieces of that Braveheart formula getting checked off along the way, it really does lessen the power of this story especially the extremely clunky third act using real-life battles in the Revolutionary War as a backdrop, all just to show Mel running with the flag, saving the day, and of course getting his revenge. A lot of what transpires with this character feels very shoehorned into the action of that final battle, to the point where it almost feels as fantastical as, say, Wonder Woman's Diana Prince helping to turn the tide for the Allies at No Man's Land in World War I. Great sequence! But the problem being that Wonder Woman was a superhero movie, whereas The Patriot is not. Now here's another thing that I liked. That first action sequence set in the woods when Benjamin leads two of his young sons to ambush a party of redcoats, it's wild. Basically, the redcoats are taking their older brother, played by Heath Ledger, his name is Caleb, they're taking him to be executed. So just the setup for this scene, it has a pretty uniquely twisted tone. We see Benjamin coaching both of them, whimpering. Neither of them is likely older than 10. And they also just watched their other brother get murdered. 
He's basically just coaching them to first aim for the officers. And he hands them these long rifles, which are possibly as long as they are. It's it's a tense sequence. It's wild. And I just remember the nervous laughter you could hear in the audience during this scene. It's just not something you see that often. But it's really well handled. Boys, listen to me. I'll fire first. I want you two to start with the officers and work your way down. Can you tell the difference? Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Good. Samuel, after your first shot, I want you to reload for your brother Nathan. Now, if anything should happen to me, I want you two to drop your weapons and I want you to run as quickly as you can. And then when the firing begins, it's so tensely shot, culminating in Gibson literally hacking away at one red coat in the water in slow motion as the camera just stays mainly on his face as it just gets increasingly covered with blood. Roland Emmerich was clearly upping his game with how he shot this scene, and it's the best action sequence in the film, and it's a great sequence. And that brings me to something I disliked very much. There is now a pretty infamous sequence about two-thirds of the way through the movie. It takes place in the town of Pembroke, and it's when we watch Jason Isaac's Colonel Tavington. He's the main villain, and he plays a very villainous character who has already proven himself to be needlessly sadistic up until this point. He orders all the townspeople, including the new wife of Benjamin Martin's son, they just got married in like two scenes prior, he orders them all to go into the community church. Basically, they're all in trouble for collaborating with Benjamin Martin, who he's chasing. And then he orders the doors and windows chained shut. And then he orders the church to be burned. Ready to fire the town on your order, sir. The town? <laughs> Burn the church. There's no honor in this. Didn't you say all those who stand against England deserve to die a traitor's death? Burn the church, Captain. Yep, he basically slaughters an entire town, including all of the women and children. It's a horrific sequence, and it's generally well shot, but I still found it to be shamelessly manipulative, unnecessary, and here's the thing. Nothing like this has ever happened during the Revolutionary War. Even the director and writer admitted that, because they got some criticism for this when the movie came out. They actually based this on an incident that happened during World War II, when the SS, the German SS, murdered an entire French town in similar fashion. So yeah, equating the British soldiers fighting colonial rebels with Nazis committing genocide, utterly ridiculous. Portraying this level of brutality during a real war only makes sense if it's within the context of what actually happened, or if it serves a genuine narrative purpose. This sequence accomplishes neither of those things. But now here's something that I liked. The score by John Williams, it's truly one of his most underrated, and it often elevates the film. Its use of horns and violins during some of the darker moments, it recalls the haunting score he did for Born on the Fourth of July about 10 years prior. This score is fantastic, and this is the Spielbergian aspect of this film, which really works best. Now that brings me to something I disliked. The screenplay for this film provides evidence that sometimes following Spielberg's lead isn't always the best route. Robert Rodat wrote this screenplay, and a couple years before that, he wrote the screenplay for Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. And here's the problem. He carries over all of the biggest flaws of that film. A film that I really do like, but does have some serious flaws, but he carries all of the flaws from Saving Private Ryan over to this film, but they're just more heightened. There's endless speechifying, there's a very clunky structure, and there are several awkward stabs of humor. That brings me back to something I did like. Now, even though his character is often cartoonishly written, 
Jason Isaacs, he does a fantastic job playing a convincingly menacing villain. He's really good in this. And also Chris Cooper also provides a few nice grace notes as a colonial colonel who enlists Martin's son. Now there's something that I disliked. Most of the rest of the performances in the film, except for Mel Gibson's. The performances from pretty much the rest of the cast, save for maybe some of the actors who played Gibson's children, especially Heath Ledger as Martin's oldest son, Caleb, they're not that great. And one bad performance that really sticks out is Checky Caro. He plays a fictionalized version of General Lafayette, and his character is really just mostly there to elicit laughs because of how, quote, French he is. He's basically a comic relief character, and it's just not well done. And here is something else that I did like. At the very least, this film, and it's an R-rated film, and it's a hard R-rated film, it makes a pretty strong attempt to show the brutality of war during this time period. No, it's not romanticized, because think about what we learned about the Revolutionary War in schools. Washington crossing the Delaware. We never really know about the ins and outs of the war. So this film at least tries to show the brutality of this war during this time period. What's especially impressive is how cannonballs are shown in this film as big clunky projectiles that actually bounce off the ground and they dismember anyone in their path. There are a few scenes of that in this movie, and it's really something I've not seen in any other films from this time period before or since. So good job there for some accuracy. That's just setting up something that I really, really disliked about this film. My final dislike. The way this film sugarcoats slavery. Now look, it's not as if this came out in 1939, like Gone with the Wind, released to a more insular public that wasn't nearly as well informed. Different time, different kind of movie. This film came out in the year 2000, and it's really insulting how it plays very fast and loose with the concept of our hero, Benjamin Martin, basically being a South Carolina landowner who has African Americans working on his property, and we're told that they are free, (laughs) and that they're just employees of his. One of them actually says that. Oh, I work here. I'm a free man. Really? By standing order of His Majesty King George, all slaves of the American colonies who fight for the crown will be granted their freedom without victory. Sir, we're not slaves. We work this land. Freed men. Well, then you're freed men who will have the opportunity and the privilege of fighting in the king's army, aren't you? And that's early on in the film. It just gets worse from there. Benjamin Martin's sister-in-law, played by Jolie Richardson, we see that she actually runs an actual plantation. And she is portrayed as a benevolent babysitter to all who live there. And yet, we're supposed to gasp in horror when redcoats come there in the middle of the night and they take her slaves hostage and they shoot them. Talk about really having it both ways. I'll leave it at that. There are videos and articles ad nauseum about this discussing this issue with the film, because it is a huge issue. But regardless, The Patriots. There are other good action sequences, and even though the film is certainly at least an hour too long with too much story crammed in, it generally moves pretty well, and it's never dull. It also looks great, and there are some genuinely moving moments, often related to our main character's children. But it's also very misguided and very messy in its execution. Obviously, there are valid reasons why The Patriot is now a perennial TV staple at this time of year. If nothing else, it would probably would have been better as a 10-episode Netflix series. And that brings us to the categories. Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And John Williams' score for this film is just so good. It truly punctuates most, if not all, of the film's most effective moments. Probably my personal favorite, and this is dark, but it's still great score, 
is when it goes darkest in a key moment early on when Gibson's Benjamin Martin is just hacking away at that red coat with his back to his three sons who are just staring at him frozen as he turns around back at them covered with blood. The music swells up. It gets kind of scary. It's just really effectively done, beautifully done. It's moments like this when it feels like everyone involved in the film was actually reaching for something special, something more stirring than just your typical revenge tale. And John Williams' score really makes that possible. That brings me to my next category, Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, one of my frustrations with this film (laughs) is just how damn good it all looks. It feels so authentic to the period, yet so cinematic, and much of the credit must go to the cinematographer, the legendary Caleb Deschanel, who has been nominated for Oscars six times, and he's done some really impressive-looking films, such as The Natural, The Passion of the Christ, and The Right Stuff. And there's a sequence early on where Benjamin Martin's family starts to hear gunfire getting closer in the woods near their house. They can hear it in the distance. And then as they look out, and it's nighttime, they see darkness, kind of a blue-tinted darkness, but with sudden shocks of lights from gunfire and cannons. It is just so gorgeous and haunting to look at. There's really no good way of describing it without just seeing it. And yet so much of Deschanel's talent is wasted on a very schlocky story. The church fire that I described earlier, it deserves to be in a B-movie, and it just looks way too good, thanks to so much impressive work from him and all of the talent below the line. So that is my wasted talent. This film looks way too good, even in the scenes that really don't work. And that brings me to another category, the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this film for better or worse. If you want to sell this film to somebody, this is what you show them. And for better or worse, yep, It has to be the image of Mel Gibson running in the field with that American flag. I don't feel like it's an earned moment of true patriotism, and sadly, it leads to a moment right out of a different kind of movie when he uses it to joust with a red coat on horseback. I'm not making that up. That really happens. But shown in a vacuum, the image of him running with the flag, it's a pretty stirring image regardless. And that brings me to the final category, MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, love him or hate him, and as an actor, I have always generally loved him, Mel Gibson at his peak, he was a genuine movie star with charm, charisma, wit, relatability, and even a little bit of that craziness behind the eyes, which he always really knew how to utilize well. And that is on full display in this film. (laughs) Captain Martin, I understood you to be a patriot. If you mean by patriot, am I angry about taxation without representation? Well, yes, I am. Should the American colonies govern themselves independently? I believe they can, and they should. But if you're asking me, am I willing to go to war with England? Well, then the answer is most definitely no. 
Mel Gibson not only gives a strong performance, but he often carries this film on his back to keep it genuinely entertaining, no matter how frustrating I found it. That's what the best movie stars have always done. They can make otherwise forgettable and or problematic films just much more watchable. He's doing what he's paid for. Mel Gibson is your MVP. And now, my rating for this film. I would rate this film two stars out of five. There are some good aspects to this film, but it misses the mark. And the things that causes it to miss the mark are so egregious that I just cannot recommend this film. Now, if you still want to see this film, it is streaming on Netflix, or it's probably even playing on a cable network near you. There are good things about it. And that ends another revolutionary review. Please subscribe to the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like our Facebook page. Join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.